We are on a mission from God. Good morning, everybody. It is great to have you here. My name is John Anderson. I'm the campus pastor here. And if you have ever wondered why we do what we do, uh, why we exist as a church, why we gather together every single week, it's exactly what Jake and Elroy said or something like that. We've got half a tank of gas. We've got a pack of cigarettes. We're bound for Chicago and wearing sunglasses. And we're on a mission from God. Amen? Minus the cigarettes part. But we are on a mission from God. That's why we do what we do. Turn to your neighbor right now, and with the best Chicago accent, look at your neighbor and say, friend, we're on a mission from God. Tell them that right now. We're on a mission from God. Tell them that right now. We are because what we're doing here, uh, as Jake and Elroy tell their friends, is a holy thing. We're not going through the motions. We're not playing church that why we do what we do here every single week in case you need a reminder, is because we're not on our own mission, our own agenda. We're on a mission from God. God has given us a life-changing mission. Think about that for a second. What, anywhere else in your life, anything else that you could be involved with, social clubs and groups and hobbies and groups of friends and different things that occupy your time, where else in your life can you say that you are a part of a life-changing mission that is literally changing lives for eternity? Seriously, like where else can you say that, right? That's why what we're doing here is so important. We're inviting you to be a part of this mission we have as a church, which is to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. We don't just make that up. We actually get it from our theme verse for this entire year that we're going. Our our theme this year is on a mission from God. And we're basing it on this verse from Acts chapter one. Let's read this together nice and loud up on the screen. Jesus says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that's where we get our mission. And the the mission that we're on to share the love of Jesus Christ is local and it's global. It's not one or the other. They're not in competition with each other. It is a both and. And we do incredible things here locally as a church as we reached out uh, this morning uh, to over 150 of those that wouldn't be able to worship uh, otherwise and come from local homeless shelters and that are truly just walked in off the streets this morning. We do it with our WizKids program and in a variety of other ways locally. But we also do it globally. You'll notice that our mission is to the ends of the earth, and we have literally done that. Uh, Sometimes it's easy to miss during the holidays if you weren't around uh, or if you're just kind of getting back into the groove here with your worship schedule in the new year. You may have missed this, but every year for Advent, because we're local and global, we do both. We do a local project where we blessed uh, over 100 families with with Christmas gifts, but we also do a global mission, and that was called uh, A Voice of Hope. Uh, this Advent season, and you are such an incredibly faithful and generous church. You continue to give donations to this. Our goal, original goal was we're working to build these empowerment centers in Uganda, uh, in Africa. These particularly young girls, teenage girls, are fleeing, literally fleeing, not just for a better life, but fleeing for their life to escape extreme poverty and, and, and war-torn uh, countries, and they're refugees. They're coming to Uganda, and so we're, the effort is to work with Child Voice International and build these uh, enrichment centers for these teenage girls where they can learn uh, about healthy hygiene and education uh, and really grow in their faith in Jesus Christ. And so our goal was, a pretty lofty goal of all of our campuses uh, doing this together, was to raise about $200,000. You think, wow, that's pretty amazing that each one of these enrichment centers is $4,000. And so we continue (laughs) to experience your generosity with this. And as of yesterday, you have given, all of Hope's campuses have given over half a million dollars to this project. So praise God for that. How cool is that? It's amazing. It's awesome. 
Why do we do that? Why do we emphasize reaching people and sharing God's love with people that we will never meet, that are halfway across the goal? Because Jesus calls us to go. The power will come upon you, and you are called to go. Because there are brothers and sisters, literally across the street and under bridges here in Des Moines, as well as across the world, that desperately need to know that they are loved by God. And what better time to remind ourselves of that on this Martin Luther King weekend, that on Monday, and I'm glad it comes around every single year because we need that reminder that whether they're living under a bridge here in Des Moines and we served them this morning or they're halfway across the world in Uganda, every single person is created in the image of God. Doesn't matter what their skin color is, what their background is, their race or ethnicity, or what country they live in. Every single person is made in the image of God. And because of that, they have value and worth and deserve our ultimate respect. Amen? They're made in God's image. And we start there. And who better to leave that charge than the church to be a part of that reconciliation movement. And so we remember that this weekend, but here's my challenge to us. As we live in this heated cultural and political climate, let's not just talk about it. Let's not just complain. Let's not just be a part of the problem. Let's be a part of the solution. Let's not just talk about it, but let's actually go be the church and go put our money where our mouth is and roll up our sleeves and serve. After all, it's not our opinions that are going to change the world. It's God's love through us. It's not your opinion or your your post on social media that's going to change the world. It's God's love through you. Faith put into action, not just talked about, but done. God's love through us. And how do you get that love? How do we get the power to literally go change the world? Well, we go back to the verse from Acts. God says, wait, Jesus says, wait, and when my Holy Spirit comes upon you and comes into your heart. It's not a power that we can get in and of ourselves. It's when the power of the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us that we tap into that. And God's love in us, he wants to fill us up. And we call to get filled up every single week. And so that's been our encouragement to you as we've begun this year is to make weekly worship a part of your New Year's routine. I don't know if it's a resolution for you or not, but here's the, 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 the reality of it. Church is good for you and you're good for the church. <laughs> Often we forget the second part, right? We need that soul nourishment and that filling up every single week, but you also have something to bring of what God wants to do through you here. And because of that, we want to have worship services and sermon series that speak to you and fill you up directly where you're at. And we are super excited about this sermon series that we kicked off uh, last week. It's called Genesis, a a binge-worthy Bible series. And so what we're doing is we're looking at the book of Genesis through the lens of maybe some of your favorite shows. And if yours isn't up there, I apologize. There's always the future uh, sermon series as well. But last week, we looked at Breaking Bad as we started with the story of Adam and Eve. Today, we're going to look at the family friendly TV show of Arrested Development. I'm just joking on that. So here's another disclaimer as you look at those on the screen. Lutheran Church of Hope in no way does endorse every single possible thing that is said or done in any of these TV shows, but it does uh, remind us that there's truth everywhere, that the reason we identify with these shows is because they speak directly to us of these powerful stories and plots in Genesis. And so last week, we literally started in the beginning 
with the story of creation and Adam and Eve and their fall into sin. And so today we literally turn the page to the next chapter from Genesis 3 to Genesis 4. So if you have your Bibles, would encourage you uh, to take those out. If you need one, you can grab one from the shelves on your way out today. We would love it if every single person brought your Bible to worship. We are one of those weird churches that, that opens our Bibles uh, during church and reads them. Uh, and we would encourage you to, to get those out. Or if you have the Bible app on your phone, if you're going to tweet, tweet about the sermon. So Genesis chapter 4 is where we're at today, starting in verse 1. Adam and Eve have kids. They start a family. This is literally the first family. And so Adam and Eve now have kids, and what we discover from the very beginning is that they are this perfect little happy family with no drama and absolutely no issues at all. Or not. Verse 1, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel, and now Abel kept the flocks, and Cain worked the soil. So these two boys kind of uh, grow up and they choose different career paths. Abel uh, decided to go to the University of Iowa and become a shepherd of livestock, and Cain went to Iowa State and became a farmer. So that's kind of the, the tracks. I'm just kidding. That's the, the tracks. Uh, we don't know exactly uh, what type of shepherd Abel was, but Cain worked the ground. And so you have two brothers. Think about this. You have two brothers. Now, because of sin has entered the world, two brothers born with a sinful nature with nobody else in the entire world to compete with or compare themselves to except each other. What could possibly go wrong, right? We continue with the story in verse 3. In the course of time, as these boys grow up and become men, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Verse 4, And Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain, his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And so we know that through Adam and Eve's disobedience in the garden, we know that sin has entered in the world. And right away, even in their children, we see rivalry and envy and coveting, craving what somebody else has, craving what somebody else has. And nobody knows that better than the main character, believe it or not, of the show, Arrested Development. Just a show of hands. And by the way, if you think it's a bad show, I'm not judging because I'm preaching about it. So raise your hands. How many of you have seen Arrested Development before? How many of you are familiar with that? Okay, so you know a little bit. Okay, even if not, I'll kind of give you the, the quick uh, synopsis. If you want a show about family dysfunction, look no further, okay? If you have trouble with your family, with your in-laws, with your mother-in-law, and you think you've got family dysfunction, watch Arrested Development, and you will feel much better about yourself, okay? The entire show is built on family drama as well as sibling rivalry, b believe it or not. So Michael Bluth uh, is his name, and he's kind of the main character, and along with his brothers Buster and George, or Gob as they call him, which is the acronym for his name, they're all dealing with the fallout of the family business. So their dad was the CEO, did some shady deals, and so he gets arrested and goes to jail, and so the mom is now in charge of the company, but she's passive-aggressive, and she doesn't want to confront anybody, and so she kind of puts uh, Michael in charge, but she kind of puts Gob in, in charge, and nobody really knows who the CEO is, and so you have two brothers pursuing a same sort of career that are jealous, that are both envious of each other and want the fame and they want the favor and the blessing of their father. Does that story ring a bell at all? And so here we go with the first scene I'm going to show you from Arrested Development. The story has moved on a little bit. The, the Bluth family is in the construction business. And to set the stage for our story of the two brothers, Cain and Abel, 
Michael and Gob are fighting over who's the CEO, and they're envious of each other and jealous of each other, and they build their first house, and we come to discover brothers just can't get along. Let's take a look. (laughs) Jealousy knows no end, and the seeds of jealousy that are planted even at a very early age know no end. Some of you know this when you went home from Christmas, and as adults, you revert back to your childhood, don't you? And you take on the personality and the character of who you were, not who you are. And the effects of jealousy can take on all different forms. For Michael and Gob, it's sarcasm, it's life-size rock, paper, and scissors competition, uh, literal competition for the company, but can so easily turn into anger, as with Cain. So back to the story, verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? And why is your face downcast? Now, does God know exactly what's going on? Yes, he's God, right? Does God know exactly why there's anger going on in Cain's heart? Absolutely, because God is, well, he's pretty smart, and he knows that anger is a secondary emotion. And so whenever we're experiencing anger or rage in our life, it is a secondary emotion to probably some sort of fear or insecurity that you and I haven't worked through yet. And God knows that, and he's asking Cain the question because he's trying to get to the deeper issue of the envy and the coveting that's going on in Cain's heart for what Abel has. Why did God give the blessing to Abel instead of Cain in the first place? Well, scholars debate this, and if you have your theories, that's great, and you can join with the hundreds of scholars uh, for many years that have debated the reasons For this, some scholars will say, and this is probably a part of it, that when you bring an offering to God, we're called to bring the first fruits of it. It's the same idea with tithing in a financial way. We're called to give the first 10% to God. It's his, right? And he entrusts us to be good stewards with the 90. And so in this day, instead of money, if agriculture, if if that's your your business, you bring the first fruits of your crops, of your fruits and vegetables. If If it's raising livestock, like it was for Abel, you bring the best parts of the livestock. You bring the firstborn. And so this is an act of faith. Later on in the book of Hebrews, it says that Abel brought his offering in faith. Now, what does that mean? If you bring something in faith, it means it's an act of trust. And so if you bring the first fruits of the firstborn of your livestock, you have to trust God that he's going to provide the next because this is your income. This is your livelihood. And if you give God the firstborn of the calf or the sheep or the goat or whatever you have, you have to trust that God's going to provide for you. And that's what Abel does, but for Cain, there is no evidence that he brought the first fruits. And so, yes, I think that's a part of it, that that Abel brought his gift in faith, but I also think it's deeper than that. And we see this uh, little commentary on this story in 1 John 3, verse 12. John writes, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So what is... God saying, he's saying, regardless of the offering that Cain brought, long before he acted on it, there was something in the heart of Cain that regardless of what the offering he brought, he was doing so with a heart that wasn't fully surrendered to God. He was doing so with an impure heart and impure motives. And from Cain, we learn this. God always inspects the giver before the gift. God always inspects the giver before the gift. And some of you are like, well, that doesn't really apply to me. I didn't bring a fatted calf to worship with me today. I don't think anybody did. Uh, You have to check that in if you're going to do that. But um, we all came to worship, didn't we? This is a worship service, not a worship consumption. (laughs) 
You all came to bring your offering and to serve God, and however you do that. And I will tell you this, here's where the rubber meets the road for us. God is way more concerned with the condition of your heart this morning than whether you've raised your hands in worship or you're jumping around or you're dancing or you're singing or not. God's way more concerned with the condition of your heart than he even is with your worship attendance because he knows that if the condition of your heart is right, worship attendance will take care of itself. God's way more concerned with the giver than the gift because everybody else looks at the outward. God looks at the heart. And here's the thing. God calls out Cain. He challenges him and he says, Cain, what's really going on? Like God, as a good and faithful and patient parent, calls him out and said, let's work through this together. And God kind of confronts him and challenges him. And so my question for you this morning is, how do you normally respond when somebody speaks a hard truth to you? How do you normally respond when somebody challenges you or calls you out on something? Is your automatic reaction to to defensiveness or anger and, and, and married couples? I'm sure this never happens in your marriage, so I'm sorry it's not applicable at all, but nobody ever gets defensive in my marriage. It's always her fault. If she would just fix it, then I'd be okay, right? If somebody calls you out on something, how you respond actually reveals more about who you really are. And that's certainly true of Cain. By the way that he responds to God, complete denial, we know that what comes out as anger and eventually the murder of his brother actually started with the underlining heart issue of jealousy. Cain was not born a murderer. He became one. None of us ever set out to sin. That's how sin works. God even says that the evil one crouches around like a tiger waiting to pounce. Sin is something that we kind of fall into over time and we believe these lies and it becomes cyclical. Nobody ever wakes up in the morning and says, I'm ready to sin today. I think I'm going to go intentionally do that. No, we fall into sin. We're tempted into sin. And it's a heart issue. Now, some of you are thinking, John, that's not really me at all. I'm not struggling with anger or, or rage. I didn't, I'm not planning on murdering anybody today, so this story doesn't really apply to me, right? Well, then we've automatically missed the point. The heart of this story, God says, is the heart. Remember, uh, way later in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is giving his famous Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes, he's talking about the Ten Commandments, and he's getting to the heart of the matter. And he's talking about murder and lying and cheating and stealing and adultery and all these things, but he's raising the bar. So Jesus says, actually, it's not just murder when you actually physically murder somebody, but anybody that looks with hatred or anger at their brother or sister has actually already committed murder. He's like raising the stakes. He's raising the bar. The same thing with Stealing. Jesus refers to the Old Testament where we read this Hebrew roof. The Hebrew word for steal is ganav. Everybody say ganav. Ganav. And it literally means to be a thief, but it also means this. The deceptive inner disposition that accompanies the action. So this old Hebrew word is telling us something about what God is trying to teach us about the power of the heart. What goes in will always come out. A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Whatever you take into your body or your eyes or into your heart or your mind will always come out. It's the ganav. It's the condition of your heart. And in Cain's case, it's envy and it's jealousy that led to the action. It's coveting. I must have, if I'm going to be okay, I have to have what you have. And so before you write off this story as irrelevant, 
Let me ask you this. Let's back up a second from the story and, and go to your life. Would you say that you're completely content today? Would you say that you're completely satisfied with your life? Are you completely content with everything you have and everything you own? Are, are you completely satisfied this morning in all of your relationships and in your relationship status with your image and how you look in the mirror and how successful you are thus far in life? If you are, that's great. God bless you. But I think if we're honest, for most of us, we're far from satisfied. And every single day, consciously or not, we are filling in the blank. If only I had, if only I had more I would be okay. For Cain, that fill-in-the-blank was the favor that God had given to his brother. But for us, it's often the envy and the jealousy of wanting somebody else's life, somebody else's success. I'll be okay if our family was more like their family or if our marriage was more like their marriage or I want their job or their prayer life or their spiritual life. The ganav, the inner disposition, the coveting says, I can't be satisfied. I can't be okay until I have fill in the blank. And the problem is that there's always another blank to fill in. Because once you find your significant other, then you get married. And once you get married, then you're going to want to have kids. And once you have kids, you're going to want those kids to be out of the house at some point. And then you're going to want to retire. There's always another hill to climb. And if you have that sort of mentality going into life, you're never going to be satisfied. I meet some people, and every single time I ask them, how are you doing? They say, oh, okay. Really? You're not okay. Is your... Have you constructed the kind of life where you can only have joy and peace and satisfaction if everything goes according to plan? Because I've got some terrible news for you. It's never going to go according to plan. It's life. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. We're always seeking to fill in that blank with one more thing. I need, I need, and I need. And we go through life grasping for all these things. In an odd way, it reminds me of a scene from another one of my favorite films, an old uh, film called The Jerk, another amazing family film that you should not go home and watch tonight. But a much younger Steve Martin has just broken up with his girlfriend, and the relationship has fallen apart, and they are both just uh, a mess, and they're both crying, and he is desperately trying to prove to her that he doesn't need her, that he doesn't need anything else to be happy. He is completely content. He doesn't need that one more thing to be happy. Take a look and see if you can resonate with this. And that's all I need. And that's all I need. I'll tell you what he needs the most is a belt. What do you think about that, right? <laughs> and that's all I need. And we laugh and we giggle, but I wonder if that is our silent refrain day after day as we go through life grasping. And that's all I need. Oh, I'm going to go to church on Sunday, and I'll hear a, a sermon, and I'll worship, and everything will be great, and all I need is you, Jesus. You're my one thing. And then all of a sudden, it's Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, and we grasp at so many other things, looking for affection and fulfillment and satisfaction and pleasure and all these other things, and we end up going through life grasping and holding on to so many things. And we create a kind of life where our ability to find joy and peace and satisfaction is based on one more thing. So what do we do with that? Why is this such a big deal? Some of you are like, ah, I don't really know. Why, why is this such a danger? I want to unpack two reasons why a coveting heart, why an envious, jealous heart is dangerous to our relationship with God. Reason number one is this. Coveting hurts others. Coveting hurts others, particularly those that we 
love. So remember in the Ten Commandments, God says, you shall not covet, right? That's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Cain could have used that a while back. You shall not covet, and he says, your neighbor's house, and that means household. Well, it's important to know in the Old Testament days when somebody said your household, what was included in that is not just your house or your possessions, but your status. Do not covet somebody else's stage of life, their achievements, their abilities, Coveting somebody's stuff is one thing, and maybe some of you don't struggle with that, but what about when we start coveting the intimacy that they have in their marriage? When we start being envious of how well-behaved their children seem to be and where their children got to have their birthday party and how easy life seems to be for them and how we're older and yet somehow we've been trying to have kids for three years and yet they just got married and they're just having their first kid. Why does life always seem to go well? for the other person? Why, why have I lost both of my parents and yet they have all of their grandparents still living? Why are their parents divorced or why did I never get to know my dad and yet... And we just live in this comparison game. The reason that coveting <laughs> is hardly ever based in reality is because here's the thing. Thanks to social media or not thanks to social media, we spend most of our time comparing our real life behind the scenes to everybody else's highlight reel. And we forget that every single person is fighting a battle that you will know nothing about. And every single person has a real life behind the scenes. You just never see it because you're not them. And we end up comparing our behind the scenes to their highlight reel. And it's not just with celebrities, it's often with the people that we care about the most. And instead of seeing other people as brothers and sisters in Christ who we love, they actually become objects and targets of our jealousy. And so my question for you this morning is, with whom are you playing the comparison game? Here's my question, with whom are you playing the comparison game, subconsciously or not, as you scroll through your feed or you actually say it? And just like Cain, more often than not, it starts in our hearts with seemingly okay, a little bit of gossip, a little bit of criticism, but who are those people that everything seems to go well for and you are constantly tearing them down in your mind and in your heart? Who are you comparing yourself with? And secondly, how's your relationship with them going? <laughs> Can you actually have a healthy, godly, Christ-centered friendship with somebody that you are gossiping about or jealous of, that you're secretly envying? How's your relationship with them? <laughs> you can't have a positive relationship with them because if something goes well for them, you're automatically jealous or you're trying to disprove it. And if something goes wrong for them, can you authentically care and have compassion in your heart? Because the Bible says that we're called to rejoice with those who, help me out, rejoice, right? And mourn with those who mourn, right? You can't do that if there's jealousy in your heart. We can't do either. And it doesn't allow us to be healthy family as a church. So coveting, number one, it hurts us, but number two, the danger is coveting hurts, or excuse me, it hurts others, but it also hurts us. There's this famous, Teddy Roosevelt is famous for the quote, that comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy, and that's because the fact is that those who have the most amount of jealousy have the least amount of joy. Those who do the most amount of comparing have the least amount of joy. And the reason that's a big deal is because God looks at you this morning and he says, that's not how I created you to live. Constantly looking at what other people are doing and comparing yourself to them. 
God says you have one person to compare yourself to, and that's my son, Jesus Christ. And because of the cross, you have been made right with him. So you are enough. And so your measuring stick is not somebody else's life because the truth is, here's the trap we fall into. Somebody else's success should never make you feel like a failure. Somebody else's success should never make you feel like a failure. And why is that? Because God's writing your story too. Don't forget that. Don't just be looking around. Stay in your lane, God says. I'm writing your story. and Don't be so busy looking at other people that you miss the plans and purposes that I have for you. And at the same time, I get it. I want to be sensitive to this because for some of you, that blank that you're waiting to get filled in is really hard. And you've been waiting to meet that special someone or to have that first child or to have a little bit more time with your parent who's dying or an in-law or whatever, to get that job or whatever it is. And it's hard. There is a wide gap sometimes in our lives and a long time between the original desire and the fulfillment of that desire. So what do you do in the in-between? Because the danger is, what we'll be tempted to do is be jealous and be envious and to covet and fill that in-between. So what do you do in between. And so what I want to propose to you today is three ways to crush coveting. Everybody look up at the screen and look at this little guy right here, right? I don't know if that motivates you or not, right? Everybody take your hand like this. We're going to crush coveting together. This is coveting, right? Take your fist like this. Everybody nice and loud say, crush it. Oh, you can do it better than that. Say, crush it. Crush it. Now, everybody make that face and turn to your neighbor and try not to laugh. Tell them, look at them right now, right? Everybody say, crush it. Crush it. Awesome. Some of you just need to loosen up a little bit, right? Turn your neighbor, say, loosen up. Loosen up, right? A little heavy today. Let's loosen up, right? Three ways to crush coveting. Number one, everybody say, expose it. Expose it. Number one, expose it. Hear me say this. The biggest mistake that Cain made wasn't bringing a half-hearted offering. The biggest mistake that Cain made was not coming clean when he had the opportunity. Is not coming clean when God gave him the opportunity. Instead, what we so often do is that we shove our feelings and our emotions down and we tell others, it's no big deal. We don't come up for prayer because we think the only people that come up and ask for prayer after worship are the people that have real issues. Well, let me remind you, once again, you have real issues. We all do. And so we shove it down and when we experience anger or, or, or rage or jealousy or envy, well, there's two things we normally do. We either shove it down or we inflict it. And if we shove it down for long enough, we'll eventually inflict it. That's what happens in a lot of marriages. We shove it and we shove it and we shove it and we shove it and we sweep it under the rug and eventually it all comes out. And everybody's like, where did that come from? I'll tell you exactly where it came from. Unchecked, unconfessed sin that builds up over time. So if you're struggling with feelings of jealousy and anger and bitterness, first and foremost, you got to tell somebody. Expose it. Bring it into the light. This is why confession isn't just for the Catholics, right? Confession is a spiritual discipline that we're all called to do. Confessing it first and foremost to God and to some trusted Christian friends that can expose it for what it is. Ultimately, coveting and envy and jealousy is a lie that God is not enough for you that ultimately you can't trust him and he's not going to take care of you. So confess it. This is why we emphasize small groups so much at Hope, because let me ask you this. Do you have Christian friendships? Do you have people in your life that know you well enough to call you out, to speak the truth, not just the truth, but the truth in love? Because a lot of you have friends that will tell you they're yes men and yes women. A lot of you have friends in your life, inside the church or outside the church, that will tell you exactly what you want to hear. Some of you 
are lucky enough to have some friends that tell you what you need to hear because they love you and are willing to call you out and challenge you. Hang on to them. Those are real friends. That's real community. So number one, how do we crush coveting? We expose it. Number two, we expose it. And then number two, we cultivate faithfulness. Everybody say cultivate. 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 We read this in Psalm 37. Let's read this together. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. It's one of my favorite passages, but among many well-intentioned, good-meaning Christians, it's butchered. (laughs) We misunderstand it, and we go right to the, and I'll get the desires of my heart? Meaning God's kind of like a genie in the bottle, right? God's going to give me everything I want, right? All I have to do is like be a real, I have to delight myself in the Lord. So I'm going to be a really good Christian. I'm going to go to church every week. I'm I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible every day. When I go to church, I'm not just going to stand there. I'm going to, I don't even know what it means, but I'm going to raise my hands because it kind of looks more spiritual and God might smile and and bless me with that. I might even start serving, uh, you know, all these things because I want God to give me the desires of my heart. Number one, that's not biblical, that's not what it's saying. And number two, did you catch the verse before getting everything that you want? Verse four, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. God says, when you're dealing with coveting, instead of navel-gazing at ourselves day after day or falling into the trap of comparison, this whole passage is actually about the development of your character, which turns out God is just as interested, if not more interested, in the development of your character than he is you getting to wherever you want to go because you could get everything that you ever want and be the wrong kind of person to receive it. God says, I'm interested in cultivating and tilling up the soil of your heart so that it's soft and receptive to receive the blessings and the fulfillment of the desires that I want to give you. It's about your character. And so instead of placing my hope for joy and fullness solely on the next relationship, the next stage of life, the next job, or what somebody else has, dwell cultivate, live deeply and committed where you are. And I want to speak just for a second to those of us that are in our 20s and 30s. This is relevant for all of us, but specifically for us as young adults. Be so focused in this stage of life on excavation rather than building your empire. Okay, I think this is gold right out of this passage in Psalm 37. Cultivate till the soil, dig down deep, discover why God created you and who you are and deal with the underlining issues of your heart before you start building skyscrapers for God because he is way more interested in you being a solid foundation and good soil than he is your agenda. Be a man or woman of integrity. Be faithful in the small things like daily prayer and taking the low seat at the table and not having to promote yourself and humility and serving. And this is for all of us now. It's often in doing the small things that nobody sees that result in getting the big things that everybody wants. It's often in doing the small things and being a person of integrity that nobody else sees except God that result in the big things everybody wants. So what if you started asking, not only God, are we there yet, (laughs) but who am I becoming along the way? And it turns out God's probably more interested in that. Notice what this verse says, and what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, kill your heart. It doesn't say, suck it up. It doesn't say, don't desire. It actually says the opposite. It says, in this season of life, while you're waiting, instead of coveting and being jealous, get busy. (laughs) Cultivate your heart. 
Stay and join the church. Be, be a part of God's church. Be generous with your time and your finances. Get busy living on God's mission now, because here's the thing, back to the Cain story, I wonder how many purposes of God did Cain miss out on because he couldn't see past his own pain? How many great plans and purposes did Cain miss out on because he was caught in the trap of comparison and envy? God is writing your story, so live your relationship with God, not somebody else's. So how do we crush coveting? Everybody say, crush it. Crush it, just like the little boy, right? Expose it, cultivate faithfulness, and last but not least, we crush coveting with passion for God. Everybody say passion. passion. With passion for God. And passion shows up around here in a lot of different ways, but it certainly showed up in an incredible way last week. So last weekend at all of Hope's campuses, we put out the call for anyone who had never uh, been baptized before or that simply wanted to renew their baptism to come up and put their past in the past and say, God, you're what I really need. And I have to tell you this in, in a moment of honesty here. As a pastor, I've spoke to thousands of people before, and I'll preach all, all day long, but the, one of the most nerve-wracking things that I've ever had to do is stand up here and say, hey, y'all should come up and get baptized and just stand up here and wonder if anybody's going to come up. And I'm just going to be here. I'm just like, well, that was awkward. But you came because God's Spirit's on the move. And you took a step of faith. And over the course of last weekend of all of our services, 46 people came up to be baptized, 10 of which were for the very first time. Praise God for that. How cool is that, huh? And I can go on and on about the stories and the life change and the transformation and the tears and the heart transformation that took place in that. But I will focus instead on this one thing. For those of you that came up, that took guts. That took guts, and that took courage. Because you know what doesn't take courage? Sitting on the sideline. You know what doesn't take guts? <laughs> Watching everybody else do ministry. And sitting by and watching life happen while you're sitting on the sideline. It took courage for those of you that came up to take that step of faith. And so this week, I want to challenge all of us. What's your next step? How is God calling you to contribute? Yes, Christianity is absolutely what God wants to give to us, and he fills us up with his love and his Holy Spirit. But today I want to ask you two questions based on the Cain and Abel story. And moving forward from that, number one, what does God need to do in you to develop your character and be a person of integrity? What does God want to do in you? And secondly, when's the last time you asked, God, what do you want to do through me? Christianity isn't something that we consume. You don't consume church. It's an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense. You are the church. The church is not a service. The church isn't singing. The church is not a sermon. The church is not a building. The church is not an institution or a business. The church is a movement, and you can either get on board with that movement or not. You can either join the mission and be all in or not. Church isn't an event you consume once a week. It's a family that you belong to. And in a family, everybody does their part. Everybody contributes. What does God want to do in you and what does God want to do through you? Because here's the thing. When we talk about serving and we talk about inviting, it's the exact opposite of grasping and of trying to get everything that you need to get you filled up and meet your needs. Jesus actually flips that whole idea on its head and says, actually, when we give ourselves away, our time and our talent and our treasure, 
we actually get filled up. It's in serving others that we get filled up. And what it does, instead of grasping, we go through life holding everything with clenched fists, serving and inviting actually opens our hands up and frees us up. I've said it once and I'll say it again. The people that have the most joy around hope serve. You look at the people that were here long before any of us were this morning. There was people at our West Des Moines campus this morning, I guarantee at 4 or 4.30, making that hot breakfast that some of you had this morning. That is the happiest place at Hope to be, is the kitchen at 4.30 in the morning. You'd think, oh my word, I would be so mad and groggy, I have to get myself out of bed. The people with the most joy serve. The people that greeted you this morning, the ushers that helped you find your seat, the people that made the coffee, the people that are watching your infants in the nursery and telling you your kids about Jesus and Hope Kids are some of the most joyful people around here. The people that serve in all these ministries that you see represented on these banners. Why do people that serve have the most joy? Because it's way more satisfying than consuming. Some of us haven't got that yet. It's way more satisfying because they've taken ownership of their church. And that's why we're doing this ministry fair together that you heard mentioned these banners around you today. It's for this, to help you lead your church. To help you lead your church. It's not my church. It's not Jed's church. It's not the staff's church. It's what God wants to do through you. It's your church. So that's why we're doing it. It's time to get off the bench and get into the game. And some of you have been coming and you've just been receiving, which is great, but you're like, I don't quite feel filled up. It's because consuming Christianity is never gonna fill you up. The power comes from the outside. The Holy Spirit comes and fills us up and empowers us not to come to church, but to be the church. And so we're called to get into the game. We're doing the ministry fair because we're called to be the church. And number two, one of the biggest misconceptions, one of the biggest lies, that as we get together as pastors and talk, one of the biggest lies is that people walk into any campus at Hope and the first thought that goes through their head is, wow, this is big and look at all these people and we're growing and we're adding services and campuses. And the biggest lie that people believe is they walk in, they look around and go, I'm, it's, it's Lutheran Church of Hope. I'm sure they don't need any more help. And I am here today to debunk that myth and shatter that myth once and forever. We need all the help we can get, all right? We are far from a perfect church, and you're invited as an imperfect pe person to join the mission of God here at Hope Des Moines. You are needed. We need you, not just as a number or a name on a list. We need you, because you're the only you we have. And so some of you are like, I've been waiting to get connected. I've been waiting for a sign from God. Well, I'm pleased to tell you today you're surrounded by 13 of them. 13 signs from God saying, some of you just got that, are calling out to you, right? It's time to get in the game. So in a little bit, I'm gonna invite some of our ministry leaders and staff uh, to come forward. And they're gonna stand by the ministries that they represent for you can go and talk to them to, to get to know them a little bit more. And I know for some of you, you are already involved and you are serving and you are an incredibly faithful and generous church. And at the same time, some of you aren't. Some of you aren't connected, so go, and you're not signing up for anything, just go and get some more information. But here's my challenge for you today. As you look around at the people that will be at these various spots, I wanna challenge you, instead of just taking off today when we're done, I want you to find three or four of these people, and I want you to go up and look them in the eyes and shake their hand and say, thank you for helping lead our church. Because without them, we, would, we wouldn't have church. We can't be the church without you. These ministries exist because of you. Because nine years ago, a mom, a young mom with two kids came up to me and said, John, God's just laid this on my heart that there's people here in Des Moines that will never have the opportunity to experience what we do every week here. 
and they're the folks in local homeless shelters and that live in the tent camps and on the streets. And she said, could we go pick them up? And I said, sure. So we bought a couple school buses and we started picking them up. And nine years later, we served 173 people for breakfast this morning through our breakfast club ministry. Praise God for that, huh? Praise God. Because, because it's way better to contribute than it is to consume. Because somebody stood up and said, I'm not just going to come to church. I'm going to be the church. And because of that, all those people are getting to experience the love of God. So here's what I'm going to do. As our ministry leaders go to their spots, uh, here's, here's what I want to do. I want to walk through, and I think here's my challenge. To, somebody's told me I did this in a little over two minutes uh, the last service. As all of our leaders are going to their spots, I'm going to walk you through in two minutes or less all the different things that you can get involved with and connected with. In case you're wondering, is there something for me? There is, all right? So up on the screen in two minutes or less, somebody can time me. You can get out your phone if you want to and time me. Here's all the things that you can get involved with uh, in the next couple months, all right? Ready? Ready to do this? Here we go. This Thursday, guys night, it's for everybody. Every season of life, young, old, in between, guys, come, food, fellowship, Get to know the vision for men of hope. Same thing, ladies, if gathering, early February, you're gonna wanna check this out. You're not gonna wanna miss it. Great way to ignite your faith. Next slide, the prayer team. People pray for you before and after worship. There's a group of people that prays for you on Saturday morning that prays for all of you. You can join the prayer team. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll train you. Next, the creative arts team. Artists, sculptors, painters, people that help with our setup here. They paint live. Uh, dancers, video production, all of that goes into creative arts. They would love to have you. They meet every single week. Community life, join a life group. We have men's, women's, couples groups of various nights of the week, mornings, afternoons, weekends, weekdays. There is something for everybody. Get in a group, get connected. It will enhance your life with God. CORE starts a week from today. Uh, we're going to dig into in the first session of CORE here. We're going to learn about how to study the Bible and God's story. You can sign up for it. It's for everybody. Join a team. That's hospitality. So the ushers and the greeters and the communion servers and the scripture readers, any of you can serve once or twice a month. Not a big commitment. You can serve with your spouse. You can serve with your family. We need you to help make this a hospitable church. There's, there's people that are watching your kids right now in the nursery, and if they weren't there, you wouldn't be able to worship. So pass on the love. Sign up for the nursery. We would love your help. Hope Kids, Power Life Ignition. This is our children and student ministry all the way from uh, age three, all the way up through high school. Wednesday nights is student ministry. Sunday mornings is Hope Kids. There's people that are teaching your kids about Jesus right now and doing an incredible job. Join them once a month. Go talk to Jamie and serve. Musicians and productions team. Everybody that you see on this stage every single week is a volunteer. They are giving of their time and we would love you to have sing or play an instrument or whatever it is. The production folks in the back, make it all happen. Without them, you couldn't see and you couldn't hear. So they do an awesome job. If you have a finger and you can push a button, they can train you and they would love to have your help. Next slide, the local missions team. There's a group of people that get together every single month and plan and execute what we do in outreach in this building and outside of this building. They would love to have your help. A couple ways that we do that, I talked to you about Breakfast Club. You can drive a bus, you can lead a Bible study, you can help with set up and tear down or ride the bus and go to the shelters and welcome people in. There's teams every single month, every single week of the month for that. Same thing with WizKids on Thursday night. We're currently serving over 40 kids from our neighborhood here. They do a weekly meal. They basically smash VBS into two hours and have games and crafts and fun and music and Bible stories, and we read the Bible with them. Uh, we also need small groups to help with meals for whiz kids as well. Revive in the city. For those of you that are young adults, 20s and 30-somethings, go talk to our Revive Young Adult Ministry. Next Sunday, they'll have their first uh, Revive lunch. There's Bible studies, there's small groups, there's service projects. Go get connected as a 20 or 30-something. Care team ministry. Some of you are wired up to love, to pray, to do hospital visits, to meet with people one-on-one, -on -one, and to care for people in that way. Care ministry team is for you. And that is it. Was it under two minutes? Oh, I was really close. Okay. <laughs>
Well, you should get involved anyway. That's just the highlight. So folks, look around you. Look around you. These aren't just slides for ministries. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And the reason I want you to go and not just run off and, and shake their hand and thank them today is because they're my heroes. Because without them, this church wouldn't be coming up on 10 years of making a difference here in the city. For 10 years, some of these leaders, some less, some longer, have been pouring into this church and making it what it is. Take a couple minutes and go up and meet them and thank them and learn about their ministry. And if God's laid something on your heart, go serve. Stop consuming and start contributing. It will satisfy your soul and Jesus will turn your world upside down. The people with the most joy serve. Connect, grow, serve. Amen? Let's stand and pray together before we close.